We live in a culture really that attacks dads. Have you noticed that? Uh, it attacks men in general and just trying to put them down. And um, on Father's Day, I've had to preach uh, from the first time I got into ministry, I've had to preach Father's Day. That was the week I preached every year was Father's Day. And I got tired of preaching Father's Day messages. So uh, I just stopped preaching Father's Day messages. So I'm just going to continue in the series, Happy Father's Day. Um, but this morning, because we're in a devoted family series, I'm going to talk about dads and fathers. And I'm actually going to use a Deborah uh, to talk on Father's Day. Now, I don't know if there's ever been a time on Father's Day where we're going to talk about a woman in the Bible, but we're doing a series, a small group series called Legends. And we talk about four obscure women and four obscure men that you don't talk about much. We're going to be talking about them in the small group. So if you're not in a small group, you want to get in one uh, and you're going to hear it. But there are hundreds of women in the Bible and incredible stories of that. So this isn't a man or woman thing, really. Uh, but it's a challenge, I think, that Deborah put out to all men to be men, right? How many of we have less men in, in the world today and more boys, and you're saying, well, what does that look like? Well, well, so I may tell a few dad jokes today. You're required to laugh at all dad jokes on Father's Day. Did you hear that? Okay, so here it goes. I'm, I, I used to do this all the time. I don't anymore. I used to open the message with a joke, and I just stopped doing that. Uh, there were four men having babies, and they're in the waiting room. And they were, or the men weren't having babies, but they're kind of having babies because we do it with you. And, uh, and, well, okay, not technically with you, but we're there. <laughs> we're in the room, okay, most of the time. But this was when they were in the waiting room. Their wives were having babies. Is that better? Okay. <laughs> it's Father's Day. <laughs> right? And, and, uh, so, so the first nurse comes out and says, congratulations, you have twins. And he goes, wow, that's amazing. It's kind of odd, though, because I work for the Minnesota Twins. That's just strange. And, and so a few minutes pass, and the second nurse comes out and says, congratulations, you have triplets. And he goes, wow, that's incredible. That's odd. Just like the first, I work for 3M Corporation. The fourth guy, or the third nurse comes out and says, congratulations, you have quadruplets. And he's like, man, that is amazing. I work for Four Season Hotel. About that moment, the fourth guy goes over and starts banging his head on the wall. And he's just banging his head on the wall. And they said, sir, what's wrong? Why are you doing that? And he goes, I work for 7-Up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, look, look at this and because I never do it I'm going to give you a second one look at this a letter be between the son and, and dad it says dear dad school is great I'm making lots of friends and studying hard I simply can't think of anything I need so just send me a card and I would love to hear from you creative way to ask for something look at his response to his son he says dear son i know <laughs> astronomy and economics and oceanography are enough to keep even an honor student busy so do not forget that the pursuit of knowledge is a noble task and you can never study enough <laughs> uh, apple doesn't fall far from the tree 
So this morning, what I'm going to do, and we're finishing the Devoted Families series, and then there's going to go through a period of time where you're going to, where in the next few weeks, we're going to have just an incredible time uh, with a number of different directions we're going to go through in the month of July. And then we're going to start the creation series coming up in into July, August. And we're bringing in one of, on August 14th, we're bringing in uh, one of the guys from the Creation Museum that uh, I met when we were down there. Incredible. His name is Tim, Tim Caffrey. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. We're already working on the series and putting it together. There's some incredible things you're going to see in it. Uh, so you don't want to meet it in the miss it. You don't want to meet it. You don't want to miss it in the month of August. Okay, um, but in in what what I want to do this morning is I want to just talk about that talk with dads about um, some of the things that we did back when. How many remember Promise Keepers? How many remember when we did that? You know that's almost thirty years ago. Uh, what it was, how many have never heard of Promise Keepers before? Raise your hand. Okay. About 35 years ago, there was a football coach for the University of Colorado that got saved, and he felt like there was just a decline in the character and integrity of men, and he felt this calling by God to bring men together to make seven promises that they would work at keeping and to do it together. And it was called Promise Keepers. And they gathered in football stadiums, baseball stadiums, arenas all over the country. And they basically brought all these men together. They'd worship together. And then they'd bring in speakers and kind of talk about how men needed to come back to God. And they had seven commitments or promises that they would make to each other. And, and I want to start this off first by talking about Deborah. And then I'm going to go into that. Does that sound good? And so we're going to have a good time. Listen, guys, I'm not here to beat you up because I, I, I got tired. I noticed as a kid growing up on Mother's Day, they made the women feel really great and honored. You're the best thing that ever happened. And on Father's Day, they took a bat to everyone's head. And I was like, why would they do that to dads? I mean, dads are amazing. Dads are amazing. <laughs> Okay, there, there we go. I thought, I thought you didn't hear me. We need to work on getting that sound right, you know. So, so here's what happened in Judges. In the book of Judges, God's whole idea for the nation of Israel was not to have a king. He wanted to have judges that would hear from him and they would, they would judge. He really didn't want anyone in between him and to lead. He wanted them to go to God and God would lead them. And, and that was his goal. Well, in Judges, again and again, they would follow God under a judge. That judge would die, and then they would go do what was right in their own eyes. In fact, you hear that statement throughout Judges. They did what was right in their own eyes. It's really the mentality that's being kind of taught in our society today. Haven't you noticed that? Do whatever's right in your own eyes is okay. If it's okay for you, it's okay. Whatever you think is right is okay. It's very much the same lie that Satan tried to pawn off on them is the same line he's trying to bring to us today. If you think it's right, if it's, if it's your truth, it's, it's okay for you, and it's fine. Now, we're nowhere near where it was in Judges, but that, that doesn't mean you can't get there either, right? If you continue to raise a generation that thinks that way. Well, they would end up in bondage because they did what they wanted in their own eyes. They would end up in bondage, and then they would cry out to God, and God would send them a judge, and that judge would deliver them. Well, 
in Judges chapter 4, Ehud, the fourth, third judge, had just died, and Deborah is raised up to become a judge. And she, she is actually... Um, uh, has a ton of favor, like God raises her up and gives her a ton of favor. And this is in a period of time where women were more of a possession than they were a human. Um, it, was, it was all about men. So what's incredible in this is that a woman was leading this nation, right? And she understood that. So it's important to understand the context of this, because how many know women are just as important as men? But that doesn't make men less important, right? They're just as important as men. And so I want to talk about um, judges. And if you have your Bible, and you should, because church is a great place to bring a Bible. It really is a great place to bring your Bible. So, so it's a great, you know what does a pastor's heart is when, when they see their heads go like this and looking down, meaning, okay, where am I going? Judges chapter 4, go there, verse 1 through 9. We're going to read through this. It says, again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now Ehud, Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them in the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. Um, and uh, God, of course, didn't sell them into slavery. I think this is where a lot of people think who read the Bible, they think, you know, God's kind of schizophrenic because of how the Bible's interpreted. God did not sell them into slavery. Their actions sold them into slavery. Their decisions they made is what put them into slavery. God didn't stop it. Does that make sense? Are you with me this morning? So if you're thinking, well, God did, God sold them into slavery. God did this to them. God didn't do that to them. God just pulled away his hand and said, okay, if you don't want me to protect you, if you don't want to come and serve me, then do what you want. See where it takes you. And that's where it took them. When it's interpreted, it's interpreted as though God did it. God did not do that because God, every good and perfect gift comes from God's a good so if you miss church on a Sunday and you walk out and your tire and your car is popped and you walk in and say, God, okay, you got me, God. You know, you punished me for not going to church this morning. That's not God. I think we have to understand God's heart and character if you're going to talk to him because the depth, there's a lot of Christians today that think God is talking to them and it's actually Satan. Okay, you got to know the difference between the voices. So it goes on in, in verse two, uh, Sisera, the commander of his army was based in some town, I don't know how to pronounce, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. So they cried out for help. And, and whenever you're going through something, you cry out for help. You want help, right? And so what does the Lord do? He raises up someone. Go to the next verse. Now Deborah, prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, say Lapidoth with me. Good, you did great. Was leading Israel at the time. So this is Deborah's husband. And it's interesting because of the culture they're in, most of the prophets, you never heard about their wives or the judges. Most of the judges, you never heard about the wife. But in the case with a woman who had, she mentions the husband of the woman. Interesting truth that I can't get into, but something to, to look at. Goes on, she held court under, 
under the palm of Deborah. She had a palm tree named after her. Between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to have their disputes decided. So this woman has got incredible favor and respect among the people of Israel this time. Uh, they look to her. They, they believe in her. They're standing with her. Well, the Lord comes to Deborah, and she sent for, and we say Barak because we had a president with that name, but it's Barak, son of, did I do that? Barak, Barak, son of Abinom from Kedesh and Nephetali, and said to him, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go take with you 10,000 men of Nephetali and Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. So Deborah's like, listen, the Lord spoke to me. Um, I'm telling you that something's going to happen. This is what you should do. Uh, uh, and and, uh, and you, you, you should do this. He's, she's giving him the opportunity to have honor, to, to step up and to be a man in that called like to lead, right? Look, look. And she says, I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jabin's army, the enemy, with his chariots and troops to Kishon River and give him into your hands. She says, I'm going to go down there. You'll come. You'll be the mighty warrior. I'm going to set you up and make you look really good. Right? Isn't it interesting? Look at this. Uh, even though it was her that was leading, she knew the importance of creating an environment where the male leader was honored in that place. Now, this is an incredible thing because I know it's Father's Day, but I want to say kudos to the women that honor their husbands and make their husbands look good, right? Because there are a lot of women that tear down their husbands in front of their kids, and you wonder why your sons haven't become men. I want to say to those women who talk highly of their husbands, even when they make mistakes, you're doing good. You really are. Because how many know that there are no perfect people, especially no perfect men, but it takes a woman of God to see the incredible nature of a man and to point out the things they do well. Right? Guys, you could say amen to that. Right? Because guys, failure. And guys struggle with where they're failing already. To have the woman who they're most vulnerable with point out those same things, it's very hard. And it really causes them to kind of go back into a corner. When you honor that husband and you make them, I'm, I'm going to tell you this much, that you will lift them up. They will become the man that you want them to be. You know, men are, it, it, they're pretty simple. Right? You know, somebody made a joke. The men are a lot like dog. You just pat them in the head and go, hey, little buddy. And they're like... Right? Like, we, we are not a complicated species. Uh, I mean, we came from dirt. <laughs> Hello! <laughs> Here we are, right? We're not very... Guys, but they need honor. They need honor. And there's something about Deborah. She understood that honor is what would motivate him to do something. If, you're, if you want your kids, your sons, you want your husband to really... Honor is the pathway to that. You say, well, uh, I, there's nothing to honor. He's so bad, there's nothing to honor. First of all, I would remind you that you chose him. Amen. Right? So ladies, if you're not married, choose well. Right? And second, everybody does something right. I mean, if he gets out of bed well, say, honey, you're just so good at getting out of bed. You're a good get out of bedder. 
You know, you really like point out the things that they do well. And, and listen, everyone listen, we're in a culture that doesn't do that anymore. We don't, we think it, but we don't say it. And it doesn't matter if you think it, if you don't say it, it's like you haven't said, it's just like you haven't th thought it. It has to come out of your mouth. Out of your mouth breathes life into them. And so you have to speak honor out. And we need to become a culture that's honoring, especially in the kingdom of God, because we have abandoned honor in every other avenue of life. We just don't honor. We're always attacking and criticizing people for what they're not doing right. And we say, oh, yeah, you do some good things well. And then and we point out all the bad things. Where do you think that spirit comes from? It's a demonic spirit. It really is. And, and so honoring them, and she does that. She honors him in this. So Barack said to her, and this is interesting, he goes, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I'm not going. I ain't doing it. If you go with me, I'll do it. Leading requires courage, men. And, and I think if there's something that we need to work on as men and teaching our boys is courage. We bubble wrap our kids anymore. We're so afraid. And even with COVID, it, it didn't create the lack of courage. It exposed it. It exposed it. And, and you say, well, we're so afraid of death that our decisions were all made about being afraid of dying. We won't let our kids climb trees anymore because they might fall out of the tree and break an arm, right? We keep them from the very risks that developed us as men so that we don't have to deal with the pain of what might happen to them if something takes place. Because you watched on the news where one thing happened in life and now it could happen to everybody. Of course it could. But that's why you pray harder. Maybe that's why we stop bubble wrap because we stop praying for our kids. So we got to try to protect them ourselves because we don't think the Holy Spirit's going. Can I remind you of something? They're not your kids. I know you're, you're saying amen now, but do you really believe it? They don't belong to you. They're his kids. You've just been asked to take care of them for a while. Mess them up a little bit, and the Lord can deliver them later in life. Praise the Lord. Right? But we are stunting the growth. Men! Men! I'm calling out to the men in the room. I understand that, why, why mothers would do that, because that's the mom. They, they're nurturers. They're the protector. That's of their nature. But men, you're the one that says, yeah, go try to jump that motorcycle across Grand Canyon. That's my boy. He's all busted up in 60 places, but that's my son, right? There's something about that that we put in, but we've taken it. And I don't know if that's because so many men haven't served in the military or even been in those places where they recognize how risk and danger and how you get to, how, how you thrive. But there is something, we've made masculinity a cuss word. Where, where that is no longer a thing. You can say amen. Look at, look at what Deborah says. She's certainly I'll go with you, said Deborah. Certainly I'll do it because she's got courage. She says, I'll do it because I heard from the Lord. 
But because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Brach to Kedesh. And that's exactly what took place. He was delivered in the hands. Now, this is a society that viewed women as less than so. For her to do this was an extraordinary thing from the nation of Israel. And, and she goes on and she writes this because after the victory, she wins. They win the victory. And after they win, she writes this song. And it's recorded in Judges 5. And I want you to see this. Look where it says, when the princes in Israel take the lead, when the people willingly offer themselves Praise the Lord. When the people of Israel, when the princes of Egypt, when they live their lives for something that matters, praise the Lord. When the men of Bethel's rock step up and say, count on me, praise the Lord. When young men put down their controllers at 3 a.m. and get up at 6 a.m. to seek the Lord, praise the Lord. When men start to lead their wives, praise the Lord. Do you know that there are now more women in college than men, first time in history? Now, I'm not saying there shouldn't be women in college. I'm saying now there are more and more men that are saying, I'm not going to do it. If you want to do it because they've been attacked so much, if you attack men and you remove them from society and they just back down and just do whatever, you don't realize how destructive that will be to society. It isn't about tearing down men to raise up women. It's about raising up women and men. I mean, we're human beings, right? And our mentality isn't to tear down one to lift up or glorify the other. Look at it. Look what it says in chapter five. It says, in the districts of Reuben, there is as much searching of heart. There is much searching of heart. Why did you stay among the sheep pens to hear the whistling of your flocks? In the districts of Reuben, there was much searching of heart. What, what she's saying is, we went to battle and we won. But Reuben, where were you? You decided that you were going to sit back and think about it. Oh, yeah. We cried out to the Lord, but, but when it came time to step it up and have courage and to go into the, to gain the freedom that God was giving, well, let me think about it. I, I don't know. I, I might think about it. She, she was basically laughing and saying, you wanted to sit and think about it while you were listening to the bah of sheep. And, and men... It's not time to think. It's time to respond. It's time to move forward. And then he goes to Gilead, and she said, you stayed beyond the Jordan. You said you'd go, but the moment you came into the first obstruction, the, the Jordan River is flooded, and you come to it, and you say, yeah, you know, I don't know if we can cross this. You were looking for excuses not to. Looking for excuses to back away. I don't know if I want to do it. And so we look for excuses that I can get myself to believe. How many know what I'm talking about there? How many know there are things you don't want to do, so you're looking for excuses to get out of it? Raise your hand. Raise your hand, okay? There are a few honest people in here. How many are lying through your teeth and you didn't want to raise your hand? Raise your hand. Okay, thank you for not raising. How many are lying through your teeth and you don't want to raise your hand? Don't raise your hand. <laughs> I thought so. Then there's, then there's Dan who builds ships. That's what he does for a living. He builds ships. And he says, you're, you're sitting there. And he says, no, I got work to do. I'm doing all. I got to get my job. I got to build these ships. I don't have time to do anything else. And it's all about the career, all about all the stuff that I got to do on this earth. Can I tell you, eternity is coming quickly. I got a birthday coming up. 
and I'm realizing, boy, life went by fast. How many know what I'm talking about, right? It's going by fast, and I realize, like, this isn't first place in heaven second. Eternity is thousands of times better than this place. And how I'm living today determines what it's going to be like in that tomorrow, right? So men, how are we leading? Are we the princes that are leading? Then there's, then there's Asher. Well, Asher just thought, well, you know what? I'd love to go to battle, but I'm on vacation. He's by the coast. He's out in the beach just sun tanning, just taking his time. See, see the, the problem is, is there's all kinds of things that we get caught up in this planet that has no bearing on the future. Come on, men. Do you know that they did a study and they discovered there are two types of mindsets that men have? Two types of mindsets. They go to these extremes. The first one is subservience. Um, subservience. And here's uh, the first thing expressed in subservience, in the mind of a subservient person. It's expressed in irresponsibility. Uh, you know, you're saying, well, how do I know if I'm irresponsible? Well, if you're 25, you don't have a job, you play video games till 3 in the morning, and you're living with your parents. Somebody just described, like, that's my life. <laughs> Listen, uh, first of all, it's, so you live with your parents. That's okay. It's going to be hard to get a date doing that, but it's okay. That's funny. <laughs> Come on, guys. That's funny. No girl's looking for a guy living with his parents. Uh, but, but I'm just saying, listen, if you're not paying rent to your parents, that's the, the poster child of irresponsibility. Like, well, I'm trying to save up money. Can, can I just, like, my girls pay rent to live at my house. And somebody, I had a 17-year-old kid say, Dad is just rude that you would make your kids. I'm like, are you kidding me? I stinking paid their rent for 22 years. <laughs> I'm not paying for it after. I'm not raising teenagers. I'm raising them to think like adults. I'm raising them to be responsible. It doesn't matter if I have the ability to do it. What matters is, will they learn how to have the ability to do it, right? And my wife and I want to have a little bit of money. <laughs> it already costs 200 and some thousand dollars to raise a child, right? See, the, the mentality is this irresponsibility. The, here's the second one. It's expressed in independence. Well, let me finish that. So if you're living with your parents, God is speaking. You need to start paying rent to your parents. <laughs> Mom and dad, come on. Okay. All right. Expressed in independence. I'm going to do what I want. So the first is expressed in irresponsibility. The second is expressed in independence. I'm going to do what I want. I don't need you to tell me what to do. I'm my own man. I'm going to do it my way. And that's just what it is. No one can speak into your life. That's just the way it is. And then the third part of subservience is it's expressed in entitlement. This is deserved to me. I deserve this. I, I, and you see this. And you, you, if you're saying, you know, they're in this generation, they expect to have everything that took 50 years to get, they want at 22. It just doesn't. 
doesn't happen that way, right? You know, the thing, and, and, and I've expressed certain things that, but you want to see this entitlement man, mentality. You look at the, the college forgiveness thing that they want to do. I had to pay for all of my college, and now you want me to pay for yours. Right? It's, it's like, but it's entitled. I deserve it. That's the mentality that we keep giving. And so I don't need to work for it. I don't need to be committed to it. I don't need to make commit. I can just do what I want, and then you pay for it all. That's the mentality. And guys, dads, dads, we're the one that put the identity in there. I don't want you paying for all me. I'm going to, through with my commitment to God and my connection to God, he's my provider, and I'm going to be responsible. I'm not entitled. I don't deserve it. I'm going to earn that. That's what we teach them. Here's the second. That's the subservient mindset. Here is the second one, which is the, um, is the superiority one, and that's expressed in toughness. It's I can hit the hardest, I can spit the furthest, and I can make the worst noises and smells. That's not toughness. That's just gross. Right? That's just gross. Here, it's also expressed in external success and status. I got to prove that I'm what I am by the job I work and how much money I have, that, I am, that I'm superior, that I, and it's just very competitive and driven. So either subservient or you're superior, you got this prove your superiority. And then, then the, the last one's expressed in intimidation. I'm going to take charge here. I'm the head of this place. I'm going to be a dominant person. Your mind, guys, your mind is going to one of those directions right? Every man in here. And God is the one that kind of brings in the character and, and shapes the character in the man so he looks like God. Now, let me ask you a question. How many guys in here would say, if you were to lean one way or the other, you would lean more superiority to, to this, that, that superiority place? The second one, raise your hand. Guys, you're in here. Okay, only two of you. That's great. Like, guys, like, why do you want me to raise my hand? I just father stage. Like, Leave me alone. <laughs> well, I'm not having you stand up. How many would say you would go the other direction, the subservious? You'd be in the subservient p place. Okay, for those being honest, thank you. Like you're going one of the two places, whether you, you know why I have you raise your hand? Because it causes you to actually think about what I just said and puts you in a category of, yeah, if I'm going to go a direction, that's where my mind is going to go so that I recognize that's the tendency I have to go in that direction. Not that that's your identity, but that's the tendency to recognize it so it brings you back. You're either going to go to a chauvinistic point of view or a cowardice point of view. That's where your mind will go. And then in Judges, she says, Zebulun, you risked your very life. Nephetali, you risked your life. The two tribes of Israel that fought the Canaanites were Nephetali and Zebulun. They saved a nation, two tribes out of 12. If two tribes out of 12 could do that, what could the church of Jesus Christ do in our nation? We've just talked about all the things that are going on in the world around us, and it can become overwhelming, and you can think, you know what, there's nothing I can do about it. There's nothing that I could do to change this. If two tribes can do that, the church of Christ, men of God, can make an impact in the nation around us. Now, I want to give you the seven commitments that God really, I believe, is calling men to keep and make. Here's the first one. 
here's the first commitment. You, you can write this down. If you're a guy, you can write it down. If you're not a guy, you can write it down and give it to the guy that should have written it down. Here's the first one. Commit to pursuing vital relationships with a few other men to understanding that he needs brothers to help him keep his promise. Relationships with men are important. Last night we did it, the, the guys who did the, the, the barbecue out and it was phenomenal. Pig roast, a lot of relationships, sitting with guys. If you missed it last night, I'm sorry you couldn't be there. I'm sure you had other things you had to do. But I'm telling you, when those things happen, it's important to be there because you get to really connect with guys and have relationships. You know, there are small groups that we do and being a part of a small group is important. But there's something that I've shared multiple times. It's, it's really three people. Three people. Every person needs three people in their life that have permission to talk to you and say, you shouldn't do that. And you not get offended and re exit them out of your life. You know, the three people that even have permission to say, you need to stop doing that. And you listen to them even though you may not agree with them. Why? Because you recognize how important it is to have people in your life that pray, that talk to God, that can impact your life. You know, David, King David, would never have been the King David you've read about and know about if it wasn't for Nathan. Nathan had permission to come to King David and say, you're that man, David. After he had sinned with Bathsheba, Nathan came and called out the king of Israel. Nathan could have been killed, but David had given Nathan a place in his life that he could speak. He listened to what Nathan said. And when, Nathan, when David was not listening to God and he did not have ears to hear God, David had people in his life who were listening to God, and those people came to David and said, you're out of line, David. They became protection. But what we do as soon as someone, think about this, everyone in the room, every adult in the room, who in your life, besides your spouse, and even with your spouse, you don't give them permission to talk into your life, but who in your life right now could come to you, say something to you so boldly about something you're in that you know is wrong, but you're not listening to God, but could come to you and say that, and you wouldn't ignore them, you wouldn't kick them out of your life, and you wouldn't get offended. Who is that person? And do they know they're that person? If you don't have one, you're not protected. Because the enemy deceived Eve in a perfect place with everything she needed. Do you not think the enemy can deceive you? Do you really think that you can just see it all and you don't need people in your life? You need people in your life. You need three. I have three people in my life. In fact, one of them just turned 85 and, and losing some of the capacity that he once had. And so I just met a few months ago with someone else and I said, I'm giving you permission. If God says anything to you about me or you see anything, you need to come and talk to me. I will listen to you and I will do what you're telling me to do because I'm giving you that place in my life. But we live in this rebellious place in our heart where nobody's going to tell me what to do and I'm not listening to anyone. It's just me and God and no one's getting in and I'm not giving anybody any permission to come and talk to me. All the time in the Bible, there are people God uses to speak in the lives of leaders. All the time. It is extremely biblical and necessary. 
Because there are things we're doing we don't want people telling us. So we don't surround ourselves with people because we don't want them having any say in what I do because I want to do what I want to do. And if God doesn't like it, that's just too bad. Here's the second one. Here's the second one. Commit to practicing spiritual and moral and ethical spiritual, uh, sexual purity. That purity is almost gone in our society. That if you bring up purity, it means it's not fun. You know, wh- you know, wh- why do purity? It's not possible. How many know purity is possible? Right? Purity is not just possible. When you're walking with Christ, it becomes a probability. Because the fruit of the root of Christ is pure. The fruit of the root from Christ is pure. It works out purity in our life. The third one is commit to building strong marriages and families through love and protection and biblical values. Building relationships with our family and those who are married with. Fourth, commit to supporting the mission of his church by honoring, praying for his pastor. I put that in there. I didn't. That, that actually was already in there. And by actively giving his time and resources, that, that we're, we're part, we're investing our life into ministry, living for the future. Five, commit to reaching beyond any racial and denominational barriers to demonstrate the power of biblical unity. Uh, I really want to just hit this really quickly. Do you know the one prayer Jesus prayed before he died? was that you and I would be one as the Father and the Son are one. Now, there are a whole lot of people say, I don't understand the Trinity. In fact, Alex had someone that say, well, I don't believe in God because this whole Trinity thing. It's crazy what people will find for reasons for not believing what they already know is true. Right? It's obvious there's a God. It just makes sense. But the Trinity is one, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. I mean, they're pretty, they're pretty close. In fact, they're so close, they're one. Really, right? And Jesus says, Lord, let them be like our relationship. That means if you're offended, grow up. If you're offended, you have, like, literally the Bible is very clear about offense. If you're offended, you are walking in the, in the strategy of the devil, There is no place for offense in the life of any believer. Well, you don't know what they did to me. And most Christians try to redefine their offense as something else that's more palatable. Listen, offense is an offense that is an offense. And you're not, you don't give, there's no permission. God doesn't give us permission. He says, so let, let me put it this way. How many want God to answer your prayers? How many love the fact that God's committed to answering your prayers? Let me ask you this. Are you committed to answering his? We love to hold God accountable to the prayers we pray, but what about the prayer he prayed? Let them be one as we're one. Are you as accountable to answering that prayer as you want him to be to yours? That means you put down your offenses, and it means you make it a mission to get to know people because it's hard to be unified to people you don't know. Like, literally, we need a biblical unity means when, when, when this platform part of the stuff ends and you head out into the lobby, you don't leave right away. 
you get to know people, you develop relationship. That's the second half of the service is the community that you get in the lobby or outside. Well, probably if it's not hot yet, but you get to know people. You get to know about their kids. Here's, here's number uh, six. Commit to influencing his world, being obedient to the great commandment, which is love one another as God loved you and the great commission, which is taking the gospel to the world. Loving one another is God. Can you love people the way God loved you? Absolutely, because he showed you how to do it. He showed you how to do it. He loved you when you're at your worst. That's when you love people when they're at their worst. And then the last, commit to honoring Jesus Christ through worship, prayer, and obedience to God's word and the power of the Holy Spirit. Worship is the expression of my love for God. Prayer is an expression of my relationship with God. And obedience is my expression of faith in God. I'm going to have everyone stand. And I'll have all the men come on up to the front. I'm going to have all the men. You guys all came up to the front already? That's okay. Come up again. Except I want you to look out there at everybody else. I love this. Don't you love? Look at all the men in this place. Hey, great. You know, isn't it funny when we talk like men, we get real low. Like, look at all the men in this place, right? Like, we're men. <laughs> Give them a good man sound, guys. Come on. <laughs> right, right. They are under attack. They are under attack, and they have been called by God to protect. Protect. And they're under attack. They're not better than you, ladies. They're not better than you. But what's happened in the church is we made the church more conducive to women than we have men. Men are going to serve God differently. Men are going to worship God differently. Men are going to do it differently than ladies. And we've really catered ministry to women. It's something we all know. We've talked about in pastor. How do you bring them out? But men need to know serving God is pretty cool. Like it, it is the thing. And our young men especially need to know that, right? And we need, we need a miracle because we're, we're losing men because we're, they're, being un, they're under attack. And we just need God to do a miracle. So ladies, will you do something that you do incredibly well? You touch the, you touch the heart of God. Would you begin to pray for these men right now? Just lift up your, just pray whatever the Lord puts in your heart. Will you begin to pray for them?